How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. I'm David Eliku, and this is The Knowledge, a place for discussing big ideas and pressing issues. Each week, I'll be joined by a variety of incredibly interesting individuals for learnings, musings, and discerning chinwags on everything you need to know to navigate the world around you. This week, I'm talking with investment banker turned entrepreneur Ayotunde Rafai the founder of luxury fashion platform Gendea and editor-in-chief of Art Value magazine. We talked about Ayo's journey from investment banking to entrepreneurship, the state of entrepreneurship and VC in Africa, and Ayo's thoughts on everything going on in the fashion world right now. If you like this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe and feel free to share it with a friend. You can find Ayo on social media at ayotunde.rufai. Is it Jendaya or Jendaya? It's Jendaya, but um, a lot of people call it Jendaya, but I don't actually correct them. I don't, I don't actually <laughs> mind. I wouldn't say I don't care. Okay. I just don't mind. Jendaya, Jendaya. Um, uh, yeah, it's Jendaya, but people call it Jendaya. But it's okay. It's It's one of those things. It's like hopefully it becomes one of those things that we can make a campaign out of in the future how Versace did recently Versace not Versace yes true <laughs> okay yeah that's a very good point we're gonna get on to fashion soon <laughs> um but yeah in terms of as a concept um Jindea is a luxury e-commerce platform for continental Africa um that will be kind of listing both western and African luxury brands um so apparels and accessories alike um on the same platform um as a marketplace for um yeah continental africans who love luxury and who are into purchasing and buying uh, luxury um to be able to have access to from the from the comfort of their own homes on the continent um eventually we will be kind of global so not just serving the um luxury buyer on the african continent but anyone from london and the west um, any of those other countries will be able to eventually also purchase, but initially we're starting off with Africa um, solely, directly. Okay, interesting. What was the motivation for the business in general? And then also, I guess the second part of that is why Africa? Um, so I, I guess in my answer, it's probably, it will answer both. Um, so the first, the first reason was just because I've generally always had a passion and an interest in like style and fashion and, and whatnot. So um, in just like, just kind of where my interests lie and have kind of been developed over time. And just in terms of the people that I, I found that inspired me, um, Jose Never has been one of them. I, I kind of always was like, oh, like I'd love to like either do something like a far-fetched or do something in fashion or luxury and, and so that interest already, I guess, is one. And then secondly, why Africa? Um, I guess there's if if your startup isn't like solving a problem or or you know doing something or in terms of like providing a solution, then it's not a very good business. It's not very a very good startup. So the second um, the second reason um, was because I I have like specifically an auntie like probably a lot of us do from who who lives in Nigeria or somewhere in Africa and you know they're you know they're wealthy you know they they have that money they can spend on luxury and what she always used to do was send me to Harrods or Selfridges to reserve things for her gift that my auntie bought for her that she didn't like or to order something to send to their house in the UK and I remember it was in about 2017 when she came um the many times out of the many times she comes in the year to London is like 
I asked her, I said, what, what, Andy, why like you, why don't you just order online, um, straight to your home in like, you know, Nigeria. And she just kind of really dismissed it. She didn't really give me an answer. She just dismissed it. Like, you know, kind of thing like that. Like she didn't really, that was the response. It was like, oh. <laughs> so, like, I, mean, I thought, okay, that's interesting. Um, and then I guess, so for me, it was two things. So again, in answering why Africa, it was like, okay, so clearly people have the, the, the ability and the money to spend on luxury and they love luxury. They're, they're accustomed to it. It's not new. It's not novel to them. Um, and secondly, there clearly isn't really a, 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 a means or there isn't really anyone looking to, to fill that gap or to serve that demographic who are able to buy um, luxury from the continent. And so I guess that for me, then Jindale was born. So it took like a year year long of like research kind of like understanding the landscape and then i guess of, as of last year it was really putting the team together and a, do, a, a, you know applying for competitions taking part in competitions being invited to things and really like kind of sort of solidifying exactly what we were going to do and how we were going to do it because what we ended up finding out um, by our research is that one the idea isn't novel to do luxury e-commerce for africa it's just that the people who have done it before um, have missed one of two things out or haven't done it as well or that's why they 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 failed so for us the last kind of like two years it's really been um about understanding the market understanding the the buying demographic and the the nuances between them we've profiled them um specifically as five kind of buying demographics on the continent and really um being able to drill down into how we were going to execute it and funny thing is you're probably thinking and maybe anyone listening to this eventually will probably think well i mean i guess Nestle and Farfetch are like number one and number two in the world of luxury e-commerce. There's about 20 odd players I can list for you, but they're number one and number two. And they kind of list themselves as being able to deliver to Africa. But I mean, one, two of the things that's funny about that is number one, um, they don't deliver actually to all of the, all of the African countries um, as they do to all of the Western countries. And the ones that some and one of them, I forget which one, actually doesn't even deliver to Nigeria. So uh, that's one. So they don't actually deliver to all African countries. And then secondly, um, in countries that they do deliver to. So, for example, Netaporta delivers to Kenya. And on my uh, master's course, one of my friends who loves luxury, family can afford luxury. They, they have a good life in Kenya. And I was like, did you know Netaporta actually delivered to Kenya? She was like, what? Because every time on the on the call, she's like, I can't wait for Jindaya to come out. I can't wait for Jindaya to come out. I'm definitely going to use mm-hmm. it. And I was like, are you aware that Neto Porter actually delivered to Kenya? She's like, excuse me, what? So, I mean, there's two things. Either they don't really, they'll list it there, but they don't really market to the African country they they, they can deliver to. They, it's not on, their, on yeah. the top of their agenda. So for us, it is, and we want to fill that, that gap and provide for that market. So... We'd want to do that and we'd love for them to come and acquire us later. (laughs) Fair play. I mean, to be honest, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it's a great idea. And even from what you were saying, just generally thinking as well. I mean, obviously being Nigerian, I can mostly just speak for Nigeria, but there's so many people that have a lot of money and nowhere really to spend it because you don't get the same kind of outlets, obviously, in or on the continent. Uh, particularly yeah. in places like Nigeria or Kenya or even South Africa, yeah. other than maybe Zara in some places, or yeah. I mean that's not luxury, but you get what I mean. Like you're yeah, not getting get what you mean. I mean a Gucci flag flagship store in uh, Ikeja. I hundred percent get what you mean in terms of actually even like the landscape and like luxury, like the luxury presence. A lot of mono brands just have a presence in Morocco, and recently Versace opened yes. up a kind of concession in Ghana. So otherwise, they don't they don't have that kind of presence on on the continent like that um, for them to shop. And you and you know it's also part part of the culture. Like people who can afford luxury actually like it's part of their culture to get on a plane on holiday and buy it here. That's part of the experience for them. It's a it's a it's a it's a status marker. It's state it's status signaling. They actually that's part of how mm. they buy and shop luxury. So what Jindeo is doing for that specific demographic, as I said, we've profiled five. For one of the demographics, they don't actually have that privilege. They can't have the. They don't have that that access. So we're going to be their first point of call. We'll be their go to. But we're saying for those higher up on the kind of target demographics who you know they can afford to travel. They you know they, that is actually part of how they like 
um, shopping luxury were saying that Jindaya should be an, a, a viable option. So we want them to include it in their cycle of buying luxury. So we're not saying abandon how you currently buy it because we know that's such a big part of, of, the, of, an, of, of the culture and nuance for them. But we're saying the way we're going to market it for them is, is to show that it actually can be a viable option. So there's a lot of those things that we've been considering and we've learned and, you know, over the years that we've been putting this together. But in terms of, I mean, I know that you mentioned there's other companies that have tried specifically within the luxury fashion market, but also just in general, mm-hmm. like, what do you think it is about Africa or the African market that makes it so hard for startups to gain traction? Mm. So I, I, again, I, I guess I'll again answer it specifically from that luxury or that fashion angle. So um, I would say from the ones that haven't done you know, as probably as they wish to do and, you know, are no longer in existence or are operating at a smaller scale or whatnot or really have gotten off to like a full start in terms of Africa and fashion or Africa and luxury. It's that, you know, the especially if you're trying to um, work with and onboard luxury um, brands, luxury African brands, it's that the, the industry the industry in Africa is is still kind of developing. It's not grassroots, it's beyond that, but it's still developing, right? So they've got a way to go. So in terms of how they develop and their kind of like their 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 systems and their processes in terms of developing like fashion brands and how they actually go to market and whatnot, it's still very it's it's not like the West. A lot of these African luxury brands aren't really ready to wear. They mainly operate on a bespoke model, which I mean, isn't isn't really compatible with luxury e-commerce, um, especially if you want to have a breadth of, of brands represented and you want to be able to deliver and prompt and, you know, be able to fulfill the, the promises you, you're, you're making to customers and shoppers. It, it's very difficult. So being able to like actually represent Africa and the talent that's coming out of there on a on an e-commerce platform for a lot of people who thought they'd be able to take that on and do it and work out ways in which they could work with um, a lot of these brands coming up off the continent, which are no less than the ones in the West. It's they've really gotten gotten into a pickle because they haven't ever been able to deliver. They've got money tied up in inventory that nobody actually has ordered for, that nobody wants, but because they want to represent a wide breadth on their website. So things like that have caused like previous startups to 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 fail in terms of trying to do something within the luxury space or for Africa or including Africa um, on their platforms. Now, in terms of big companies that are cash rich, um, and are the leaders like Netta Porter and Farfetch. I mean, <clears throat> to them, um, again, we found this out via like our, like the several conversations and the research that we, we've been doing and the understanding we've been gaining over the years is that, you know, for Africa, we all know that even you don't even have to be African to kind of consider the fact that probably delivery, making deliveries on the African landscape is probably quite difficult. And it is yeah. because, well, more difficult than the West. And it is because they don't have a general um, or a, a universal or uniform address system like we do in the West, which makes delivery a no-brainer. And as such, um, there's only one major company that has invested in really being able to crack delivery in Africa, and that's DHL. No other uh, like vendor, no other company has invested the amount that they have. So us, we're already got, we're already working with DHL. DHL is our primary and only vendor, actually. Um, they've invested millions into 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 kind of being able to deliver high and low across across Africa. I mean, the promise they made us was that look, whether it's in the northest northernest part of Nigeria or the the most you know southernest part in Sierra Leone or wherever your customer is that's ordering on Jindaya on the continent, were able to deliver to them. They use like several several like kind of systems to do this, like a grid system a gridding system, mm. something very similar to what three words apparently is embedded in how they actually um, deliver on the, on the continent. So they've like kind of divvied up the continent into grids and they've given those grids unique words, kind of like a, a postcode um, in terms of like a coordinate system. So things like that, they've, they've developed and they've kind of, um, you know, really invested into being able to deliver on Africa. And even f- funny enough, furthermore, DHL actually have a pro- have a program that they run specifically for startups to do with fashion for the continent. So DHL have made that promise that they can 
deliver on the continent. Now, for the big brands like Net-A-Porter and Farfetch, um, having only one vendor that have, have, can make that promise to, to do business on the continent um, is actually undesirable. Um, and again, this is what we were, we were told by one of like the kind of professionals within logistics that we had, that I had a conversation with like around about like this time last year. And he said, a lot of these companies have several vendors that they use across their, across their kind of, um, across their kind of their whole process from maybe packaging to delivery to, to whatever it is, because they need to de-risk their operation, their operation system at every point. So they can't actually rely on just one vendor at any point in their, in their, in their, in their system and their systems line, because it, it, it just, it's, it's too risky. So let's say something happens to DHL. What are the, is their whole production line going to shut down? They can't have that They're used to, you know, uh, multiple vendors, multiple competitors in their, in their, in, in their, across their, their production line and across their service line to really give them that edge, to really be able to like deliver to customers and to really be able to like make sure that their operations don't fail at any point across the, across the board. But to go into Africa and only have to rely on one vendor is, is, is too tricky. It's too, um, one is tricky and two is just, it's not, it's not something that they're willing to take on. And that then means that they're really going to have to you know, deploy a lot of cash investing in in their own kind of logistics operations to be able to roll out that something that they can trust on the continent. So for those big guys, it's like, right, we're not really going to kind of invest or divest a lot of our attention onto the continent. I mean, it's possible we can do it. Um, we can deliver to these countries. And if, if people want to order, they can, but that's not their focus. That's not their priority, right? So for us, where we're a startup, it's like, well, I mean, we're able to rely on, on DHL. We're at a smaller scale for now, you know, where we have that direct account with them. And, you know, we we definitely be able to, you know, make sure that whatever we're promising to customers, um, because that's our sole focus, we'd be able to deliver. But for others, they're not able to do that. Do you get what I'm saying? It's just, it's, it's, a little, it's more tricky for them to be able to actually go into africa like that without you know having that reassurance that there's going to be multiple vendors that can cater to their needs across across their production and across their kind of like their operations and also it's likely that they're going to have to it's going to be very it's going to be a very cash intensive product um project for them if they were like okay let's let's focus on africa it's more than just opening a new division, a new arm. It's it, for them to really operate at the global standards that they do ac- around the world for their branders as Netporter or Farfetch. It's probably going to take a lot more than just opening up a new office in Ghana or something. Yeah. And again, they're so big, it's going to likely have to go through, you know, many stakeholders and, you know, and whatnot to like green light that sort of like investment and green light that sort of. So it's just so they, and again, we know and we've been told that companies like them are looking for whoever who can do it the best in, in the continent like Africa and then look to just acquire them. Um, so for us, we're like, right, we definitely want to be that company. So, you know, so that's, I guess that's that's why um, these companies have been like failing or are apprehensive to do luxury e-commerce in Africa. Yeah, I think lots of people are, have been apprehensive. I think particularly seeing other types of... I often find out the hard way that all IPAs are not created equal. Some are hot bombs that forget about flavor. Others only taste good if you drink them with a heavy meal. Fortunately, Founders Brewing Company has found a way to enjoy an IPA anytime and at any occasion with their all-day IPA. You can taste the hops, of course, but it's the complex array of malts and grains that make all-day IPA a beer that will grab your attention. Whether you're relaxing after a long day at work or hanging outside with your friends, All Day IPA will become one of your favorites. It's one reason why Founders is in the top 10 of the nation's craft breweries and a staple in my fridge. When you taste All Day IPA, you'll understand how they got there. Look for Founders in your favorite beer store or check out their full line of beer and now hard seltzers too at foundersbrewing.com. Founders Brewing Company. Born and brewed in Michigan since 1997. Companies come and go before. Mm-hmm. And even also, I think, seeing the struggles of some of the larger e-commerce players. So even like Jumia yeah. had some 
um, struggles at, at one point. I think they're doing slightly better now, but I know at one point they were definitely, you know, going through a tricky patch. Yeah, the, I, I guess I don't even know if they're even doing better now. I think the the, the okay, murmurs of the, of the unrest. <laughs> yeah, no, for real, the murmurs of the unrest have probably just quieted down, but I don't think that okay. that has changed the current like kind of situation, which is. You know what I what I take from the Jumia situation and what I take from the Jumia story. I'm quite optimistic, so you probably gather that you you already know that. Um, but mm. I'm quite optimistic in the sense that what I've take choose, chosen to take from the Jumia story is that one e-commerce in Africa can work for Jumia to be the Amazon, the eBay of Africa, and to get to the stage that they have. It just shows you. <clears throat> that e-commerce in Africa can work to be a real pan-African company, not just operating in Nigeria, but operating in Kenya, operating in the countries that they've rolled out in, regardless of the, of the, of the fact that they've closed some of those operations, but they had them there. It one, it shows that e-commerce in Africa can work with the current kind of like the things that we've just discussed, for example. And that secondly, it's possible to get so big and so successful that you can list on the, on the New York Stock Exchange. They've done it. It's possible for a player in e-commerce focusing on Africa to do it. That's the second thing I've taken away. Um, but the, the, the problem is, when you were mentioning the problems that they've had, is that you know, it was uncovered that you know, they, they did quite a bit of cooking on their books. A, a bit might be an understatement. Mm. But I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. me under the bus. To be able to list, they did quite a bit of cooking. And after they've listed, their share price tumbled like massively, and they've now closed a few of their country operations in different in different countries. They no longer exist. So whatever that's gone on there, you know that's it has gone on. But I've chosen to look at it like, okay, look, there is that possibility that if you do do things right, because even maybe they've done things wrong, quote unquote, but yet they've still been able to achieve the things they have. So you know, for me, it shows me that it's possible. You know. Yeah, no, I agree. And ironically, even with the listing thing, I think part of that is also just symptomatic of a larger problem with a lot of these huge startups that just rush to try and get listed. And then they all have issues, literally, like Uber has had issues, Lyft. um, All of them have had kind of so many issues post-listing where they could barely get their valuations up. A part of that is due to, you know, other issues that pop up, like supply chain issues, Uber had safety issues, Jumia had other issues. I think a lot of transparency issues as well, because I think Mm -hmm. even with, from what I understand, the headquarters is now in Lagos or in in Nigeria somewhere, but it used to be, wasn't it like Germany or something? So so in terms of Jumia, um, again, um, from what I know, it's that... It's a German company, German by kind of like registration, German by the current um, C-suite members, German by everything but the headquarters. So right. even even the and, – and it also even seems like there's two stories of how it was founded and who the founders are because for as long as I knew, the founders of Jumia were two Nigerian guys and one Ghanaian guy. But as of recent, I've I heard again that – you know, it was actually, again, Germans founded it and then they just brought in um, the the two Nigerian guys and then the one Ghanaian guy um, as early on at, to front it as like kind of like early kind of employees or co-founders. And then these guys were no longer involved because um, they're not, because when they actually listed um they weren't present there as far as I am. I, I know uh, the Nigerian guys and the Ghanaian guy. No, they weren't, you know, okay. so it's, yeah. it's all just coming out and it's all like question marks and alarm bells in terms of how they were doing what they were doing and how they've conducted business. But again, I've chosen to take up those two, <laughs> two points from it. <laughs> yeah. Positives. That, yeah. They've evidently done something, you know? Yeah. What would your outlook be on, um, I guess, the market for investment in Africa at the moment? Because I feel like it's one of those things where it's a bit of a catch-22. On one hand, I personally, but also I think 
people in general see huge opportunities in Africa. And that's the general supposed sentiment that, you know, everyone thinks, oh, this is a great place to invest. This is where the majority of the global growth is going to be for the next decade or few decades. Mm. Um, However, on the flip side, from what I'm hearing, particularly from uh, founders that are actually trying to get businesses off the ground, it's then still very hard to raise that funding. Um, so, let, okay. So, in terms of raising funds, let's 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 skip kind of like that early stage. So, like, let's skip family and friends of pre-seed. Let's get into like you know when you're talking about VCs and seed rounds and above. Um, I agree with you in the sense that a lot of across industries, um, industries are looking towards Africa to provide that next. Um, kind of decade of exponential growth. I agree across industries, not just fashion, but a lot of industries, fintech and whatnot, they're looking to Africa. Now, in terms of the kind of um, the current kind of sentiment and the landscape and how easy it is for startups to raise funds from that kind of VC perspective and the guys with with the deeper pockets to invest in startups, I think right now there is just a bit of a bias towards um, the industry your startup does operate in. So uh, okay. people that I do know who are operating um, kind of maybe fintech or health-related or agri startups, they've been finding it easier, quote-unquote, to um, speak with VCs and, and raise funds or be promised funds or you know getting that conversation for them um, seems to, yeah, again, be quote unquote easier. So I think, um, in Africa, it's still very much, uh, industry, industry dependent, um, kind of, kind of market or landscape for, for startups looking for investment, where if you're in any of those sort of industries, it's considerably easy, easier for you to raise funds. Whereas, you know, if it's like e-commerce or, things that are like mm. fashion or lifestyle that, you know, anyone in the West could easily like raise funds for um, just as any other kind of idea or industry um, idea. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not like that on the, on, in Africa. It's, it's a lot different. I mean, even as of like kind of last year, speaking to um, of one of the VCs based out of, just because obviously it's good to just, you know, set, set the ground hit the ground running and just set the scene and speak yeah of course even before you reach that stage so one of the yeah. ones we spoke to last year um you know she's very like their 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 vcs are in, in industry like agnostic like industry like focused sorry not agnostic so and they they mainly do like agriculture and healthcare and fintech all but e-commerce and i was like mm, interesting and that's not the first time we've had a conversation with um with vcs that we've been introduced to and they're like oh actually yeah, we do do Africa. Africa is our focus, but yeah, not e-commerce, not fashion. It's like, oh, okay, interesting. There, there will definitely be um, ones that are interested in, in 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 investing in us, for example, when we get to that stage. But they're they're on the minority. They're not as they're not as um you know they're not as they're not as yeah. There's not as many of them. So maybe more generally, what would you say was your your starting point in getting into fashion? generally um generally um yeah like is it is fashion something you've always been interested in this is the, I, when people ask me this question i i this this is the genuine answer and i it, every time somebody asks me it and it's I, when i say it, it's so funny to me but my interest in fashion started from mtv mtv base specifically okay so there was a show called that mtv used to air uh, no, actually, was it MTV Base? No, it wasn't on the main MTV. It wasn't on Base, but it was called The Fabulous Life of, and it used to be a oh, yes, anthology yeah. series where it would be The Fabulous Life of different different celebrities, or you know, from hip hop artists to actors, actresses, um, just like billionaires. And when I used to watch that show, like I used to be inspired by the fact that they'd mention these names, like, and they'd mention these brands, and I'd be like, oh my god, like it looks so like wicked, like like mm. oh, that's like so luxurious like that would be wicked if i could afford it and obviously you know they'd slap on the price uh for a total <laughs> of seven hundred dollars this bottle yeah. of Le Mer or something and i and i just would be like raw boy like people are really living out here and like enjoying and these things and from that 
I I used to just remember brand names. I used to just remember brand names and like restaurants like the Ivy. I remember hearing about the Ivy way back then from the fabulous life of on MTV and so from like restaurants to brands to car brands and just remembering it from there and that is where my my interest in like fashion and I guess the finer things and luxury started from that show and then it mm. from there I just just had a knack for like fashion and just remembering brands and just could identify brands and could identify trends and could I I would see a picture and be like, oh, that's definitely Versace or that's definitely this from that show, from just continuing to watch that show and the brand names would stick. And I just, and from then that's when literally that's where I I would say that was my, my start in like, I guess my, my interest in fashion. And then from that I would, um, yeah, I, I guess like it was just evident. It was evident in my knowledge when I'd speak to people, it was evident in the way I'd like, even from, like from like being that 12 or 13 in school, like the, when we had non-uniform days in, in terms of when, how I'd like what I'd wear and stuff. And it's funny because for all of us, when we look back at those pictures, it's like, what the heck was I wearing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But like back then people were like, Oh my God, like, Oh, like that's so sick. Like, Oh, like you, and I I would feel like great like oh yeah no I've definitely got like an eye for this stuff and like even from back then like in secondary school a lot of my friends would would always be like oh I was going to end up like doing something in fashion and whatnot and so Mm. I mean that was always the case and then I guess as you know as well my first like foray into like uh, fashion in an entrepreneurial sense was like my magazine so in 2014 like uni i started a lifestyle um a cultural fashion and lifestyle magazine called art value with like three friends and um, four friends and um yeah we did we covered everything from like fashion music films food um from like uh yeah like a from like a like a kind of like abstract lens abstract abstract in the sense that it was it was meant to like exemplify and like relate to um, kind of like dis- diaspora in 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 the UK from the fact that we were all like creative yet corporate. So the art and the value and it was that it was that it was we were on that kind of vibe. But it was great mm. that first issue we got like we got um, campaigns from Ghost Perfumes, Bevel. Um, um, what else did we get? We got we got quite a few brands in that first issue. I mean, yeah. Like, and this was all like when they were first coming up, no. Um, yeah, this was all when they were, exactly, this was when Bevel was first coming up, Ghost Perfumes, obviously, yeah. been around for a while. Um, there's a, quite a few brands we actually got in the, I'll, I'll have to check through. But we, I yeah, because I, I remember you had, like, Orange Culture, yes, yes, Cold yes, War. Yes, 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 We had Orange uh, Culture. Look at, how can I be telling your story and then you don't remember? Oh, my God. We had Orange Culture in there from 2014. We had their campaigns. What else do we have in there? It seems like you remember more than I do. We had, yeah, we um, had. <laughs> I just remember, yeah, I remember you had like so many of those brands which now have now, exactly. gotten so big. Exactly. Oh my I think it was the fact that you were able to get onto them from so yeah. early and also some of the models as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In, the, in terms of, yes, so the, the cover model we ended up using for that, um, that one issue we did release because if I told you how it was so much, I mean, I was going to castings during my lunchtime at work because I had started a grad school on <laughs> investment yeah. bank. So, I, I was going to castings at lunch. I would I would sneak out like, like, during the day to like you know um, to just like meet photographers and stuff like that. But it was it got to a point it was just so unsustainable. Like I couldn't do it. It was just impeding on so much. So I had to hang it up. But I mean, just quickly back to in terms of the models that we got. So the cover model that we ended up using um, ended up signing with Wilhelmina. Um, he's not there anymore. But I mean, at the end of the day, it was almost that we kind of called it called it first kind of thing. Like. Um, we we spotted it and he was great and then the other kind of the female model lead we we used Nyasha she'd been the face of like um, Louis Vuitton she had walked Versace she had been on Vogue Um, so we we really that was my first foray into you know entrepreneurial like fashion and whatnot so you know and then Mm -hmm. you know a few years later doing uh, Jindaya so yeah that's kind of (laughs) that story of myself and fashion in a nutshell yeah and how did you find i mean obviously i know you went on to say that it became sustainable unsustainable but how did you find the balance initially at first 
because you're also an investment banker at the same time? Um, I guess, okay, so I think initially how I found that balance was, I think, you know, I think, you know, when you, you know, when you, you like, I'm trying to find a great analogy, but I'll just say, I guess, you know, when, when starting something, you're like, it, it's more so the vision and the passion you're running off of and not really the reality of what mm. it takes to make it come to life, how you've envisioned. Yeah. Yeah. But initially I was just running off that like passion and that, you know, desire to like really do something in this field of fashion. And because it's my interest and that I, I want to do this, I want to do that. I'm going to have, we're going to do it like, you know, biannual print versions of great website, all of this, it was just running off the passion regardless. And yeah, you're right. I was, I still had my grad job. I still was like really like working quite, you know, long hours, etc. But I was just running off the passion and the vision. And then, you know, reality starts to set in like, um yeah after work you're gonna have to send all these emails you're probably gonna have to like you know go at lunchtime to see this person or something and that started happening and then also furthermore like as I said we started as four of us um that became two people so then I had more to take on for art value and it just wasn't gonna work it wasn't gonna work I mean you know you know what because right now um I mean all my focus and my time and resources are into Jindale but art value is very much relevant to my interest and it fits into my world still. And so I do intend Mm. to eventually refocus on it and put some resources behind it and like try and get it up again. And I did try recent, like when I say recently, probably a year and a half ago. And again, I just, I just couldn't be present enough to see it go again. Um, So Mm. I eventually do want to, you know, put some real time and real effort behind it again. But um, because it, it makes sense, it fits in, it really does fit into everything I'm about and want to do. Um, but yeah, it just, yeah, it became unsustainable for those reasons. It just, it just wasn't going to work. Yeah. And no, I get what you mean. I think finding that balance, particularly when you're working in a big corporate is, is so difficult because even when you're saying it um, like the whole going out at lunchtime things, it reminded me a lot about even with me starting the flight club. Mm. And I think it's, it's funny because it's one of those things where not that it's easy to start, but it's so easy to start something when nobody knows what you're doing. Yeah. And when it's just you and you can actually just run off steam and mm. you know, it's 2am in your cab home from, work and you're just on your laptop getting things done doing all these things but again because you're because it's so small because nobody knows necessarily what you're doing at that point in time Mm. it's easy to devote all of those extra hours to do it Mm. and then when it actually starts to grow then all of a sudden like you can't do it anymore like it's just (laughs) so unsustainable for real for real for real and again you definitely be able to relate because yeah i am aware of like the long crazy hours you used to do so yeah you definitely understand we'll be right back after this break it's hard to tell which sites are safe and which are downright sketchy but with cox panoramic wi-fi advanced security it's easy it protects all your connected devices helps you avoid sketchy sites, and even sends real-time alerts straight to your inbox or phone. Plus, you can always check in with the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. So the only surprises are that there are no surprises. Learn more at cox.com pano. Restrictions apply. Copyright 2020 Cox Communications, Inc. All rights reserved. Circle K is America's thirst stop. And yours. Especially when the weather gets... And you need to stay... Stay refreshed on the go with ice-cold Circle K favorites like freshly ground iced coffee, Froster, Polar Pop Cup, and more. And right now at Circle K, save on all 8 or 12-ounce Red Bull flavors. Buy two, get one free. When life's go, 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 make us your first stop. Because Circle K is America's thirst stop. So what is interesting you in the fashion world at the moment? Because I know you still keep your finger on the pulse. And we've had so many discussions, which are always funny, about um, Uncle Virgil and Kanye and all of these guys. You know what? I'd say in terms of what's interesting me at the moment in fashion, I would say what kind of like, you know, gingers me and like, I, like you know, is probably kind of like those brands where 
the founders have like real personality real personality and like a story to tell like or like real where they're where mm. their themselves really comes through and they're not just like caricatures and they're they're actual human beings like and and because what I've realized over this kind of like two years building Jinday is that the fashion world is really fickle. It's really fake. People aren't really about all the things that they yeah. preach. So for me, I'm really interested by real, real people in the industry. So for me right now, I would really say um, Affair of God by Jerry Lorenzo is probably one yes. of my yeah. favorite He's brands. He's done amazing. Like, I, I, and and you know what? I'd actually be honest. Not because the brand's aesthetic is really one that, and you know, you know, what I kind of like how I dress and what I do. Like, it's not because the brand aesthetic is something yeah. that is a bit of me. Not really. Maybe like I would get. Maybe I, I would get some pieces like for you know the airport airport swag or like you know lounge day whatever, and maybe jazz it mm. up and you know mix and match. You know that you know you know luxe kind of high low kind of vibe. Um, which I do do at times, but it's not even because the aesthetic is is really me. It's more so I just love like Jerry Lorenzo and he's one of my biggest inspirations just because, you know, one, how vocal he is about his faith, like, and actually how talented he is. Like I really, really, yes, you know, appreciate yeah. him. And, and as such, by default, I love the brand, you know, and even more so the recent like col- collaboration they did with Xenia. So Xenia has been on my radar for probably like three or four years now. And I mean, they've obviously gotten more and more kind of bigger and like more mainstream over the years, even though they've been around since probably the eighties or something, but Xenia's yeah, been on my radar for probably the last four or five years, actually. Um, and they've been getting considerably bigger and bigger and a fear of God, funnily enough. And as they've been getting bigger on my radar and I've been appreciating them a lot more because of two reasons. So one, they acquired Tom Brown. So Tom Brown has again been on my radar for probably like, Four years, Tom Brown is a brand that I do like, you know, and they acquired them. And when I, I listened to the podcast the um, current CEO of Xenia did on as to why they acquired Xenia. I mean, why they acquired Tom Brown. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I just love how they think. I love, like, you know, from a business perspective, a creative perspective, it makes 100% sense. Um, so, I, so I've started, like, really appreciating Xenia and, and whatnot. And then secondly, as I said, the second reason why I like Xenia is because quite early on in Jindaya, we got introduced to one of the kind of wholesale directors or executives. And he really had great things to say about what we were doing and really supportive and, you know, always checked in on progress and whatnot. So, you know, we've always had like, I guess, a supporter at Xenia. Um, so for me, those two reasons, and for fear of God to do a capsule collection with Xenia, which was amazing, it really kind of took that whole two opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of like Italian luxury like kind of tailoring and quote-unquote that typical kind of uh, aesthetic and then obviously the the lux streetwear from fear of god and then it, it kind of like merging them and you could really tell it was um it was really like a collaboration because some collaborations come and you're like no this is just you two guys like not really sitting down and really taking the time to collaborate this has just been a slapdash work this was real collaboration so i i, I love the outcome and we've actually got yeah. an article about that on on the on the on the platform on jindaya i mean we've got, currently launched a content only website so that's available for everyone to read so i'd say fear of god xenia um another brand i really like is um kerbito so kirby I call him kerbito. oh yes yeah, yeah yeah he's the um pierre moscow right exactly pierre moss is another brand i really like because of of, of kirby himself like how how like outspoken and 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 like real he is like you know the whole kind of you know bof debacle happened yes. and i i love <laughs> i've been a reader of like you know like 2000 yeah. and 12 oh, mad. Okay. 13 i remember when they a free a free model to um you know subscription i i i had no questions because i i I, had, I knew the value I was getting out of BOF. I loved the way it was written. I loved the way that it will come together. So Imran Ahmed, I've always like admired. But that whole debacle happened and, and Kirby like came out. He, he just came out and said it. It was like, look, this is BOF. Like, this is what's really going on. And I would like an apology and I'm not going to like pander to any, anything. And to, for him to say that when people 
love to be in BRF 500 or love to be on the cover or, or whatever, or be profiled in it. And him as a relatively new designer and um, to really take that stand, I rated it. I like, I like, I, I, um, I rated that energy. So I, I, I'm always going to be in support of Pierre Moss. And funny enough, I remember when he won the new designer of the year award at CFDA, there wasn't a lot of noise around him. Yeah. Like, and I remember myself and a discussing this because usually when it, so when Brandon, Mac, Brandon Maxwell won it there's a lot of noise around it like who else has won it in terms of new brands new designers that have won it and then I remember the year um, Pierre Moss won it like there was hardly any noise so already I guess from the from the onset from the get-go he's definitely been you know a polarizing kind of character but I like that I like it a lot so I would say Xenia I keep my eyes on Pierre Moss I keep my eyes on Xenia I keep my eyes on there's another brand a Japanese brand called Zochen that I've been keeping my eye oh, on. Oh, yes, um, yeah. They, they, they um, kind of really kind of came on to, they do like kind of, I, I guess, again, um, typical me- men's like tailoring. Mm. So, you know, formal. T- but what really kind of put them on the scene was the belted, the belted. Yes, um, that, the belted blazer. Jacket. Remember, I sent, I think I've sent that to you before and I, I found out about it because I, again, I follow quite a few stylists, celebrity stylists on, on Instagram and, um what's her name i forgot her name but um this guy the guy who plays black panther why am i michael kidding? b jordan um no chadwick. oh chadwick chadwick yeah, yeah, chadwick, yeah. chadwick chadwick Oldman stylist ashley p waters i'll find her name but like she put him in a zochen um houndstooth sort of suit and it was a belted one and when i saw it i was like oh my gosh i need to know yeah. what brand <laughs> what brand is this and then from then on, this was like two years ago. From then on, I've been a fan of Zochen. So I've been following them and they, they do like, like apart from those belted jackets, they do like nice kind of um, locks, like kind of like that whole pajama set, but like obviously formal type thing as well. So I've been following Zochen and I, I really like, do like them. And then I guess, I guess lastly, um, there was one brand that I was going to mention that I won't let come out of my mind, but there's another <laughs> brand that I really like. Oh, Remover, Remover. Okay. So um, obviously, the reason why I really like Remover is they're not obviously a tip, they're not a typical kind of luxury brand. Um, in the sense that they're not they don't do apparel, mm. but they obviously just do suitcases and whatnot. But the reason why I really kind of have their time is because of the founder. So not sorry, not the founder, but current CEO. So um, Alexander Renault, Renault, um, Arno. Um, sorry, Alexander Arno. Um, who his dad is obviously CEO of LVMH. Um, he's the current CEO. He's my age, 27. Um, and he's just done an amazing job of repositioning Remover as not just, you know, a, 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 a brand that's, you know, for suitcasing and traveling. He's repositioned it as like an actual lifestyle brand and a trendy brand with the capsule collections. They do one probably... They do one probably every quarter or something. Like they've done, like you know, with Supreme and they've done one with Fendi. You know, he's really repositioned it and made it. And they've done they've done one with Dior. Like he really just made it just really relevant and just a, like a an actual collector's item, something that you want to have in your wardrobe, not just like oh yeah, just um, it's a suitcase. I just put it out when I'm going traveling or something. It's actually actually means a lot more now. So I really appreciate how he's done it and he's approached it in a very millennial way he is a millennial and i i understand um what he's doing with the brand because if i was put a ceo of a brand as well i'd probably do the same things i'd probably run it and reposition that brand in the same way so um yeah those are the brands that i've been like kind of keeping a tab on that i personally like um yeah Unless I mean, you might have others that we might have discussed that you might want want to like me to like kind of like talk about. But those are the brands, really. Yeah, no, I think those make sense. I think those are. I'd probably say very much the same for me, particularly Pierre Moss. Um, again, largely because of the founder as well. Um, ironically, so I know maybe we should talk about Virgil. I know you're not a huge fan at the moment, but I really loved his yeah. stuff particularly well pyrex and then even off white i think probably more so in the early days um but mm. i was a huge fan of all of that particularly when he was coming up and i know that um he was kind of under kanye's wing for a large part of that time 
Um, you know what? I, I think again. So I, I think Virgil is polarizing. Um, Virgil is another polarizing character. I think initially we were all we we all appreciate. We all I wouldn't say appreciated because there is. I do appreciate Virgil because he's very. He's an important part of quote unquote the culture. We always like yeah. throwing that around. He's an important part of that culture in 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 luxury fashion as a black man, you know, where he is and doing what he's done and doing what he is doing. Um so we appreciated him because <laughs> he came yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm struggling to appreciate and appreciated. Um but you know we appreciated him because he came up under Kanye. We all loved uh, you know, love with a <laughs> in the past tense. Kanye, so you know Kanye being that Louis Vuitton don, polo shirt don, like you know that guy who probably actually for me and a lot of others actually made us love hip hop. Kanye West is mm. for me what maybe you know maybe who Nas or Pac was for guys who grew up who are older than us or maybe who grew up older than us and they and they represented that for them when they were growing up listening to hip-hop and having their first injury so Kanye is that for me so anything Kanye would say anything he did turned was gold in literally my eyes and he could do no wrong and obviously from back way back then I, re- I remember Virgil being in his camp and and anyone who was in Kanye's camp like I was I, I, I was like about and I and I and you know I just I followed so we appreciated him then and then obviously doing um obviously doing off white um that was that 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 for me when it started again i i was really impressed with and i loved i don't love as much now i won't yeah. lie um then 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 making that monumental move to louvaton obviously menswear um from taking over from Kim Jones. And I forgot to mention Kim Jones. I love Dior. I absolutely love yes. Dior. They actually did a, um, did you see their capsule collection with Rumoa? Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I forgot, I forgot about that. I absolutely love Dior and yeah, Kim Jones. I'm sorry, I forgot about that. So yeah, so side note. So taking over from Kim Jones, um, initially off to a rocky start, but his collections with um, Louis Vuitton have gotten better. And I actually, I actually appreciate his artistic vision and direction with what he's been doing at Louis Vuitton Menswear. So I actually prefer, actually appreciate and like what he's doing at LV now more so than what he's currently doing at, at Off-White. And even though that was, that is his brand and that is his first kind of like calling, so to speak. Um, so for me, why he's, polarizing and for a lot of people is because you know again when we say the culture it it has come to like a lot of our attention that he probably isn't actually really down for the culture he's more so he's more so that that token token um ethnic person um, (laughs) yeah i kind of get what you mean yeah of, of of influence and power and isn't really making a stand isn't really making a change is just is happy to be that token and is happy to you know pander and do whatever it is that he's doing to maintain that and be the only one that's what has been reported that's probably what Kanye has alluded to and you know and you know it, it that's that's why I guess for me and for a lot of people it's like you know it's good for the culture because in terms of that representation and in terms of that highest position to do that at LV, it's great. It just, again, it shows that we're dope and, you know, we're always going to be the blueprint and we have been the blueprint, but, you know, in terms of the, the change we would like to see, mm-hmm. um, in terms of team, in terms of the messaging, in terms of just how he carries himself, in terms of who he moves with and surrounds himself, we haven't seen that as such. And for me, as I said, I, I like brands, a lot more because of who their founders are and what they represent and you know and what and whatnot but that has been yet to see uh, I've, I've yet to see that with Virgil so you know yeah. for me it's nah not sold I'm not buying <laughs> it okay fair but on that note though I mean I know you mentioned that you love Jerry Lorenzo because yeah. of his character well his his personality he has a big personality and also him being very ex- outspoken about his faith yeah how do you see that as a parallel to kanye then um as a parallel to kanye um you know like 
so it's funny again like if if Kanye could if if net worth was also like based on influence Kanye would definitely be a billionaire I don't know if you've mm. seen this kind of um mind map um that I saw like a year or two ago that uh, in terms of all the brands and all the creatives that have come up under Donda which is obviously Kanye's um, oh yeah brand. I think I saw that yeah and it's Jerry Lorenzo funnily enough is is an offspring of Kanye of the mind and the design talent of Kanye West so Jerry Lorenzo Samuel Ross of um a cold wall um yes yeah of of um of off-white Heron Preston um who else there's you know he's about six or seven guys who've come up under under Kanye West and and so that parallel isn't surprising you know obviously Kanye is you know, has always had faith, but he's now so outspoken. And that's kind of mm. like, he said, not making a secular album ever again. I don't know if I believe that, but <laughs> um, this new current outspoken Kanye, he's well, he's always been outspoken, but this new current, you know, uptick in his faith and, you know, and, and, you know, just kind of like unashamed kind of like declaration of his faith um, is, is great. Um, it's 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 interesting because Kanye still says a lot of crazy and does a lot of crazy things. So yeah. it's hard to defend when he's so um so so when he's so like he goes so hard for his faith right now. So it's hard, it's kind of hard to defend. But you know, each to their own. Um, you know, <laughs> with, with Kanye. But that kind of that kind of like um similarity with 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 Jerry and how you know strong in his faith he is and like with Kanye I'm not surprised I'm not surprised they 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 probably and they likely share a lot more than just design talent and you know being being colleagues work colleagues and friends they probably do share that you know things about spirituality and like just like you know life and whatnot so you know that that kind of similarity between them is 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 not surprising is, is not surprising and i and i think it's 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 the way it's the way a true kind of like kind of creative um is ought to be like your your life it does very much imitate art so i'm mm. not surprised and it has and it has i mean for example kanye west's last album was called jesus is king like yeah. imitate that's where he is jerry lorenzo's brand like <laughs> is is literally called fear of god and he, and in one of the articles i read in terms of how he that he came up with the name and the, the verse in the bible that inspires that name and you know why he called it it's just it's literally life imitating art so i'm i'm here for genuine talent i'm here for genuine people you know so yeah yeah what i find so interesting about kanye though like literally just what you said about how he really is almost like the godfather type figure to so many of our favorite like urban slash cultural brands. But I don't know, like, and again, it's weird because as he's come full cycle with his faith in terms of that being the main motivator for his work and for the things he's putting out, I can't lie at the same time, at least on the design side, I'm not sure if I'm a big fan of the stuff that he's been putting out. Oh, design in terms of music or like fashion wise? Fashion wise. Considering oh, okay. that he's pretty much given birth to so many of these people that yeah. right now are making the biggest fashion moves. No, of course. Like I, I, I that that I'm not gonna defend Kanye on. You know, all of us Kanye can do be like, oh like I mean I already did it. I was like each to their own when really I should be like actually he's on some ball. But I was like each to their own. But on the fashion side of things, I'm not defending anything. It's all crap. <laughs> it's, it's it's no it's it's nothing great it, what has literally saved kanye west is the yeezys so and specifically yes. the yeezys 50s so other than that and obviously maybe the the what are they called the, the spaceship ones and then the rap the rap runners or whatever other than the, those trainers have saved the yeezy fashion brand other than that everything else just like no no mm. Kanye yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's it's interesting and it's funny to see because 
I remember way back then when he had his LV trainer, LV like uh, specific trainers, those the capsule that he did with Louis Vuitton and those trainers were like literally amazing. They were epic. I remember the kind of like tasseled laces with the suede and the leather and it was, those, those were like, you know, chef's kiss. But hmm. I, so maybe again, maybe he just has a really good knack for trainers like because those were amazing. Yeah. And, um, and he's, and he's like trainers for the better part, for the most part are, are great. And, you know, they're comfortable, they're stylish, you know, you can wear them up, you can dress them down, like, you know, but so he, he evidently has a talent in that kind of field, but everything else, no, no, no. <laughs> I think part of the issue though, is that because streetwear got big, well, I mean, it was big pretty much like eighties, nineties, but then it's kind of had this Renaissance period where it's become the most prominent force in driving fashion at the moment. But then I think people are now trying to push streetwear further. And I just don't think it was made to do it. Cause have you seen those new Balenciaga trainers? They don't even look like trainers. It looks like someone chewed a tire and oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen them. the it's twisted really, thing. We're in really scary times. In, 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 <laughs> in, right <now>. Yeah. <laughs> scary times. Yeah. I've seen them. But it's interesting that that's kind of starting to happen to a lot of these brands that are effectively chasing the streetwear bag, like where you kind of have to downgrade because Balenciaga, like that used to be a a real fashion house as in on the same or similar level as all of those other names. Whereas now it's really more streetwear. It's It's really, yeah, yeah. high beat brand. It's, it's crazy, but you know like i think sometimes you just have to get in where you fit in and i think that that kind of um that kind of evolution at balenciaga um has worked in the sense that it's good for their bottom line it's it's it makes them profitable it makes you know it gives it, it you know it 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 keeps them relevant but some brands have been able to kind of balance it well um i'm mm. trying to think of brand off the top of my head who've been able to deliver on that kind of commercial and you know mainstream kind of angle but yet you know they make a really amazing suit or be on a on on the red carpet on an a-lister or something like that so some brands have been able to do that well i'd say dior is one of those brands one of those definitely brands that's been able to do that well whereas balenciaga has just kind of like plunged into just just solely mainstream and whatnot i mean they definitely do show at the fashion weeks and they have their their you know they do all of that but you know but it's 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 definitely it, it, it's it's interesting different and and you know i'm not i'm not going to kind of like say brands should like try and focus on one thing or, or another because at the end of the day it's a business it's a business of fashion you need to make money so mm. if your money is is mainly you being a mainstream hype beast almost solely you're known for your streetwear even though your heritage is actually you know, real couture and whatnot. So be it. So be yeah. it. Not everyone is is gonna, you know, be able to maintain that legacy. So it's interesting that you know they're they're one of those brands now. But you know, not everyone can be a you know be a Dior or what other brands are there or be a you know. I'm trying to think of another brand that has that great kind of streetwear presence, but still is very mm. you know couture respected in the tailoring and maybe red carpet type of thing so not everyone can not everyone can do it yeah that's a very good point so what's next for gendaya so what's next so this year specifically um we intended to launch our content only website which we've done um we did that at the i believe it beginning of March and that was great the feedback has been great the responses have been great we've been kind of building content for a while so that was great to finally have that out um I mean the the purpose of that was to really just create more brand awareness and you know let people know what we've been working on let people know who we are let people know what our intentions are and um the next step is the luxury e-commerce kind of um launch for selected shoppers because this year is our pilot year so it's you know uh we're just really t- kind of testing the market and really trying to show investors that look, this is this is this is the next best thing. This is going to blow, and there's so much potential in this. So we are selecting the shoppers that will be able to actually have access to the e-commerce side of things, so okay. everyone can 
it's the content only website but in terms of e-commerce and the e-commerce side of things uh, it's a pilot for selected shoppers so we're gonna and with with that we are going to do activation events one in london and um, one in ghana and one in lagos this year um Sweet. to mark the launch of the e-commerce um the e-commerce side of things where with our selected shoppers so that's the plan this year to continue ch- to churn out new content on the on the content on the content side of things um so continuous shoots and coverage of shows and you know and and, and things going on in the, the industry and then you know push forward on the e-com side of things so onboarding brands and boutiques and you know planning our offline events so you know that which has been you know going as well as it can so far but obviously with current kind of global yeah, concern of with, course um, and whatnot you know there's you know we're gonna have we've been having to you know switch up our timeline and really have more patience with getting things over the line but you know we're hammering away and we hope to you know still reach our targets for the year okay fair but yeah no i'm definitely really looking forward to having well when i'm exclusive enough to be allowed to shop (laughs) Of course, yeah, no, you're included. You you will definitely be invited to the London launch event and you <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. Please do stay tuned for more. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps the podcast. And follow me on Twitter. Feel free to shoot me any thoughts. See you next time. Founders Brewing Company has found a way to make an IPA you can enjoy anytime that's perfect for any occasion with their all-day IPA. At 4.7 ABV, you can still taste the hops, of course, but it's the complex array of malts and grains that make all-day IPA a beer that will grab your attention. That full flavor and low ABV is what continues to make it a staple in my fridge. Look for Founders in your favorite beer store or check out their full line of beer at foundersbrewing.com. Founders Brewing Company, born and brewed in Michigan since 1997. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi Advanced Security protects your connected devices, helps you avoid sketchy sites, and sends real-time alerts so you're in the know. Learn more at cox.com pano. Restrictions apply. Copyright 2020 Cox Communications, Inc. All rights reserved.